We're starting a new series called So That Our Joy May Be Complete. A very wise man, and if you recognize the name, that's a joke. Uh, A very wise man once said, um, can we get that slide up, Aaron? Uh, Do you want your life to be better or to be worse or to stay the same? (laughs) And if you know who Michael Scott is, he's not a wise man. But that is actually a really good quote, right? Now, I think the answer is obviously that we all want our life to be better, right? How many of you, you know, during the week just wish that your life was a little worse, right? And most of us, um, even the things that we appreciate, the things that we enjoy, we oftentimes are still hoping for something better, right? But a lot of times we don't want our lives to stay the same. We want our lives to be better. And so it's actually a very good question. And as a Christian, um, there is a way that our joy is actually completed in this life. Um, Beyond just the normal parts of the Christian life, there is another aspect that John will find out actually says that makes our joy complete. And he tells us that sharing the good news, that sharing our testimony, sharing what God has done in our lives actually causes our joy to be complete as believers. And that assumes that if you don't share that your joy is not complete in Christ. Now think about this. Now maybe you have some arguments immediately going through your head. Maybe there's some things that come to mind. You're like, well, I don't know about that. Listen, when you find something that you really like, that you really enjoy, don't you want to tell people about it? Right? When you get a new car, you kind of want to tell some people, right? It doesn't like, it's not as fun if you can't show off the new car, right? Like, if you get a new outfit, you're kind of hoping that somebody, like, says something about it, and you go, yeah, can you believe it was only 20 bucks at this place on this sale? Like, you're excited to talk about it. When you find a really good TV show, and you just binge-watched it, and it was fantastic, you want to tell somebody about it, don't you? Because it's, it's just not fully, you're not fully experiencing the joy that comes with it unless you share it. Unless you can experience it with someone else. Unless you can tell someone and they can go and experience it and, and also feel that joy. It completes our joy. You know, when you find a really good restaurant, you become that restaurant's best advertisement. Don't you? When you're like, man, the burger at this place is so good. It's so good. You have to go there. You have to try it. We become restaurants, TV shows, movies, clothing. We become their best salesmen. Naturally, when something is good, we want to share it with people. And if the gospel is as good as we say it is, if it really is the good news, like the gospel is the good news, if that's true, we have to share it, don't we? And if we don't share it, we're not truly experiencing the fullness of the joy that the gospel has for our lives today. We have to share. Now, the obvious argument a lot of times is I don't know enough. Like, what if they ask really hard questions? And there are really hard questions, aren't they? Here's the thing. You will be stumped, okay? When you're sharing the gospel, when you're, when you're encouraging people to, to give Jesus a chance, to give this good news a chance, at least, at least hear it out. 
Maybe come visit our church. At least read some scripture with me. Just give it a chance. There's going to be hard questions, and sometimes you will not know how to answer it. And not because you don't know enough, but because that's the case for everybody. I mean, some of the greatest Christian scholars, some of the greatest Christian theologians, sometimes get asked questions, and they go, you know what? My mind's blinking. I don't have a good answer right now. I'll have to get back to you. I mean, I don't know a single pastor, a, a single one of my Bible college teachers that would say that they've never been stumped by somebody's question. So us not knowing enough or not being able to answer every question isn't a good reason not to share because that's going to happen to everybody. And here's the thing. In this series, we're going to be talking, it's a three-part series, kind of leading up to our launch at Cap City. And it's all about the different aspects of sharing the good news. And today is about testimony. Today is about sharing your testimony, what God has done in your life. And then we're going to talk in coming weeks about more specific parts of sharing the gospel. Gospel presentation and, and discipleship, teaching people through, um, taking them through scripture and, and, and through your own life, just showing them how following Christ actually looks. But today we're talking about testimony. And this whole series, so that our joy may be complete, is based on 1 John 1, 1 1-4. So let's take a look at that scripture. If you'll get there with me, um, we will have this portion of scripture on the um, screen as well. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us, that we... That which we have seen and have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So that our joy may be complete. He tells us a lot here. But notice he says, it's something that we've heard. It's something that we've seen. It's something that we've touched. He says, it's this experience. Like we have, we've seen him. We've heard his words. We, we touched him. He was real. We experienced it. And then John says that we've now told you about it so that our mutual joy may be complete. He says because we have fellowship with God and His Son now because of the work of Christ, the thing we've experienced, this gospel, this good news, we now are in relationship with God the Father and the Son and we are so excited about it that our joy is complete when we invite you into it because first, it's natural for me to be excited and want to tell you and then second when you join into it as well when you join into relationship with the father and the son you're also joining into a deeper relationship amongst us as humans you're joining into true fellowship true community that we have because of a mutual relationship with jesus christ right when somebody adds you on facebook and you have no mutual friends do you add them no, because no, they're probably a spammer. They're probably trying to hack you, <laughs> right? Like odds are most people on Facebook that are going to add you, you probably already have at least one mutual friend because that's how you met. Or you at least know somebody, you're in the same town, you have to have a mutual friend. Like if somebody, I don't have mutual friends with somebody, I just don't add them unless I recognize the name and I know I just met them. You know what I mean? And the more mutual friends you have, 
the more likely you're going to be friends with that person on Facebook, right? Like the closest people to me, I have 70, 100, 200 mutual friends. You know what I'm saying? But other people I just met, I may have one mutual friend. The idea here is that there is this community that is first and foremost first and foremost found in Jesus Christ and that is our first mutual friend but then we as believers in the community of the church all become connected through that true fellowship that we experience through Jesus Christ and God the Father and we want to invite people into that one because it helps our joy but also is for the joy of others that we invite them if it's really good news if it's really the, the, the key to eternal life how could you not share How could we not share if it's really as good of news as we say it is? John encourages us, for the sake of joy, to share. You know, we're not to share with them just simply because we feel obligated, though. Like, I hope you don't walk away from this sermon today and go, I feel so convicted, I feel so bad, and I guess I'll share, and ah. You need to maybe go and just... Go dive into your own relationship with the Lord for a minute. And really say, Lord, why am I, why am I not wanting to share this good news? Lord, Lord, I have this fear. I have this anxiety. Or maybe it's just apathy, Lord. I don't, I don't know why. Just confess to Him. Let Him work on your heart. Because it needs to come out of joy, not out of obligation. Because people can read it. Right? They can read it when you actually don't care about them. They can tell when it's just something you feel like you have to do so that you can like earn some brownie points as a Christian. They know that. You know, in sales, they say that nothing stinks worse than desperation. I talked to like this great salesman once and he told me that. He said, nothing stinks worse than desperation. If they feel like you need it more than they do, they're not going to buy from you. Because it's, it, there's this desperation that stinks. And I would say that obligation or re- religiousness or religiousosity like, stinks as well when you're evangelizing. When you're evangelizing just because you feel like it's this religious thing you need to do and not because it's something that you're truly joyful about and want them to experience, they can smell it. And so we have to go and say, Lord, maybe the good news has stopped being good to me. <laughs> Maybe I've replaced the gospel for good behavior. And I'm not very excited about this simple morality and sharing that with them. But if it's really, uh, I was lost in my sin, I was depraved in my sin, and He saved me, he, he offered grace freely to me in a way that no one can earn, but is a free gift of God that was made possible through the cross, and I, ex- I experience this, and I, I receive it, and I, I'm free from all sin, I'm free from death, and I have eternity with Christ, I have a relationship with Him, it's a real thing, it's not a, just a moral argument, it's not just a, you know, a good life to live as a nice person, but it's something that you've truly experienced as salvation, maybe we need to get back to that. And one way that we can get back to it is to go back to sharing our story. To just simply share our own story. You don't need to go and debate every you know, historical account, every archaeological finding with somebody. You don't necessarily have to go through all of the, you know, the four spiritual laws and, and decipher like evolution versus creation and 
Maybe just start with sharing your story. Maybe just start with sharing your own story. This is where I was. And this is where I am now because of the work that Christ has done in my life. Giving Him all glory and honor. And in fact, it's where everyone starts in Scripture. Everyone who who had this amazing experience with Jesus started by sharing that story. We'll start with this one. This one's pretty cool. In Luke 5, it says this. This is Jesus. And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Pretty cool. Just randomly following this random guy. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, um, but sinners to repentance. He calls this guy, okay? Just, hey, follow me. And he's like, okay. And then he's so excited about it, he's like, I'm going to throw a giant feast at my house. I'm going to throw a giant party to celebrate this Jesus that I just met and I'm now following. And I'm going to invite all of my tax collector friends. I'm going to invite all of my lost friends. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to have them come and meet Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's pretty cool. That's the first thing he does here. Is to share his story. Did he go through a 12-week discipleship course first? Did Did he go to Bible school? So he could answer all their questions. And he simply took them to Jesus. And he said, they need Jesus. They don't need my answers. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus. First and foremost, we need Jesus. And I'm not saying that showing some historical evidence, all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, the archaeological evidence talking about the beauty of the creation of the universe and how it's such a clear symbol of a design and a designer. All those things are obviously good. But first and foremost, people simply need to know who Jesus is and what He's done in your life. And if it's really good news, you should be excited to share it. So, since we're on the topic of testimony today... I'm going to ask Jay to come up right now and share his testimony with us. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's prepared. He's joking. Uh, and you guys, this is a pretty powerful story. He's been through a lot for the age he is. And um, it's a powerful testimony. I want you guys to um, listen. And then we're going to go through and look at some more examples on how our testimonies can be powerful um, as we share them as well. And so, Jay, if you'll, you, you can go ahead if you want. All right, all right. Um, well, good morning, everyone. I'm super excited to, to share with you today and to just talk about what Christ has done in my life. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. If you don't know much about me, I, uh, I'm a minimum wage uh, pest control salesman. <laughs> I am living the dream here in Austin. I uh, recently uh, quit my career and uh, ditched. Good morning, Enzo. Um, Enzo is one of my roommates. Cool dude. 
I recently uh, quit my career, uh, literally sold all of my possessions, um, packed everything I owned that was left into my Kia Soul, including a little kind of bedspread in the back, and uh, moved all the way out here from Oregon. And so I made the made the trek. When I went and told my boss, he's like. Why would you do this? I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to go help plant a church, you know? And so uh, Stephen had been calling me. We went to high school back in uh, Bend, Oregon, and that's where I met him originally, back in youth group church. Uh, We spent a lot of time together and got to know each other. And uh, anyways, uh, how has God taken me uh, from when I was a child to this point now? Uh, It certainly hasn't been an easy one. Uh, If you look at the story of just about anyone's testimony, it generally doesn't ever look like this. It's not a straight line if you're thinking like about a graph. It's normally like this, you know, and so that's kind of what my story has been. Um, Starting as a child, I remember I was uh, five years old. Uh, My mother, we were all in, in the room and we're talking to each other. And my mother's talking to my dad and she's like, David. And what do you think about that? And she doesn't hear anything back. I look over at my dad. He looks a little funny. Uh, she, she responds, David, what's going on? And uh, she comes up to him, and uh, he can't talk, and half of his body is numb. And so uh, he was having a stroke, and I was five years old. I didn't understand what was going on. Ambulance came, picked him up. Uh, that would actually be the first of 11 strokes during that week. 11 strokes. That's pretty unheard of. Um, just terrible position. And I remember being brought as a child to my dad's bedside. And uh, there I looked at him and I could not comprehend what was going on. Looking back now, I understand why the things that my grandfather said to me, uh, why why he said those things as a child. He's like, you know, this is going to be a scary time here. And uh, you just need to go in and hug your dad. Um, Lucky uh, for me as a child, my dad was uh, safe from that. And uh, so he he did not die. He's still alive and well today. Uh, However, what that meant was an infliction of debt and stress and uh, medical issues to our house. So we lived out in the country, 10 acres. We had goats, chickens, you name it, had it all. And... uh, uh, and so, like, we grew up in this house, me and my siblings. I was the youngest by eight years. Um, my brother's 10 years older. My sister's eight years older than I am. And uh, it was just constant stress, constant arguing, constant, not just arguing, but, like, screaming, right? Like, that kind of just stress and that kind of debt, that kind of poverty. As a kid, like, I, I couldn't play sports. I ate oatmeal and beans. Like, we were that poor out in the country. Like, it, it just, it sucked. <laughs> It totally sucked. And then my, my sister, she was like, see ya, at 16 and left the house. My brother, same story. And so there's me growing up um, somewhat lonely as a child out there in the country. And uh, there's something really cool that happened, though. I was going to a church that was an hour and a half away from our house. And uh, my father and my mother were taking me there. And what would happen is I would begin to spend a lot of the time with the youth pastor there. And I really didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I liked singing. And I liked helping out the guy, like, paint and do all these other things around the church. I had been uh, homeschooled for a few years, and so I got a lot of time to do that. Eventually, he approached me and said, hey, listen, you need to get baptized. And I was like, what? Okay, let's do it. You know, like, I was super excited. I was uh, nine years old, and I was pretty stoked about that. I didn't really know exactly what all it implied until we had a meeting. And he went over, and he was like, do you want to commit the rest of your life to Jesus? And I was like yeah, I want to be like you. 
I want to have what you have. You have something way greater than what I see at home. And you're so nice to me. You're so, you know, like the way you speak, like I wanted that as a kid. I was like, I want his family. I want the things that his family does. Like that looks so good to me. I remember looking, uh, sorry, watching the TV show called Arthur. Um, and so it was a book when some of you were kids and then it became a TV show when others of you uh, entered childhood. And I wanted Arthur's life. I wanted friends that I could interact with. I wanted a good family. I wanted a pet dog. You know, I wanted all these different things. And then um, I see this opportunity to be baptized. And I'm like, maybe, maybe that's the key right there. I don't, I don't know. I was trying to figure that out as a kid, you know. And so anyways, I got baptized. And I remember as I came out of those waters, somebody told me, I don't know who it was. They said, welcome to the rest of your life. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And what they did is they handed me a Bible, and it had my name on it. It actually looked uh, just like this one right here that Brad brought in today. It looked like this. It was an NIV. It had uh, leather, and it had my name on it. And I was just, oh, man, that was the best gift I've ever received. I would take that Bible. I'll take it back to my dysfunctional family out in the country, an hour and a half away from uh, church, you know. And and when the arguing would start, when the stress would start, when the finances would hit, I would go out into this little goat pen, right? We had this goat pen in this little goat house where the goats would go into to sleep. And I'd climb up the sides of this thing, get on and I could see the entire Cascade Mountain range. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. We were at the peak of this mountain. I could see these skies and just radiant sunsets and sunrise. It is the most beautiful thing you could imagine. You see the snow-covered peaks. And creation at that point was speaking to me. What do I mean by that? Nothing, nothing's in the way of uh, mysticism, but in the way of this is brilliant. God, you are an amazing artist. And I was captivated. And so what I would do is I'd bring my Bible up there and I'd start to read it. And I became just so obsessed with reading it every single day. So 9, 10, and 11 years old, I'd begin to start to preach sermons to my animals. <laughs> like, no joke. I would be like, Hey, Mr. Rabbit, you know, I see you and you're hopping around from like girl to girl here. What are you doing? You know, I speak to my, my rooster sun, sunshine eyes. That's what I named it as a kid. It lived way longer than I wanted it to. Um, he, I, I'd be like, yeah, I see you looking at those chicks. Yeah, she's pretty hot, but so is hell, dude. <laughs> you know, like I just like start practicing these things. And on that hour and a half drive, I would listen to these sermons uh, that were playing on the radio, like RC's Brawl and like all these other guys. And I was like just digging it up. I'd go, you know, I, part of my schooling, I was in elementary school and part of it, I was homeschooled. I would go to school and I'd bring that Bible. I'd put it in my back pocket and I was so stoked. I was so happy. I was so alive. And so what would happen is um, through middle school and high school, I would get into a few different groups and they would just like, oh man, speak to me so profoundly. It was those good families, right? That always had Capri Sun stuck in the refrigerator. They had cable TV so I could watch all the, you know, cable kids channels, Cartoon Network. And I was just like hanging out with those families, right? And they were just loving on me. Good dads, good, good mothers, good families, well, my family was dysfunctional. God was providing me with functionality. He was providing me with stability. He was providing me with amazing relationships. And so this is what happens when I enter fresh, uh, freshman year of high school. I had actually secretly snuck out of the house from homeschool and enrolled myself in honors at the local high school. I didn't tell my mom until day one. 
I said, hey, mom, I'm going to go for a mountain biking ride. And I, I said, I'll be back in like eight hours. She's like, oh, that's fine. That's cool. That was kind of like a standard procedure. Did you get your schoolwork done? Uh, yeah, you know. And I actually went to my first day of freshman year. And there, um, after that day, I went back, told my mom. She's like, you did what? She was so mad. But she's like, I'm happy that you enrolled in, in honors at least, though. And that's how I began freshman year. But I remember walking in those doors, and I opened the door, and I saw something I'd never seen before. I was like, dude, what? what is that? And that? And that? He looks at me. He's like, those are girls, dude. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, going from homeschool to that. Uh, anyways, my whole freshman year was just a total waste of time. Um, <laughs> all I did was the wrong things. Um, so sophomore year, there was this Bible study on campus that Stephen, uh, he was, I guess, too cool for. He never came to it. It was called um, On Track and Revive. And uh, I show up one day, and there's no leaders there are no leaders present. I'm like, what in the world is this? And they're like, all right, what are we doing today? Why are you looking at me? Well, you're a sophomore. Okay, sure. And so I opened up the Bible and I started to teach from it. And I really enjoyed it. And so what would happen is myself and my best friend, Ryan Rudnick at the time, uh, we would lead up this ministry for sophomore, junior, and senior year. And what would happen is this group would grow from our lack of inexperience and nothing else but Jesus. It would grow to be about 60 people every Thursday coming to hear the gospel. And so we had Thursday lunch, and then we had Thursday nights on top of that where we had every single campus in town doing the same thing, Thursday afternoons, being together all collectively Thursday nights. Out of that, we would do discipleship groups. Out of that, we would have over 12 different Bible studies alone at our one high school. Me and my friend, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no clue, but we knew we were passionate about Jesus. We knew we were passionate about finding out what the Word had to say for our lives. We would fast every Wednesday as, as high schoolers. Uh, we, we would preach the, the gospel, and people would come to hear it. It was life-giving. Um, the pivotal moment, though, I was I was there um, at the high school, and I was giving some sermon about just the different roadblocks that we have in life where we say, no, I'm not going to give this up for you, Jesus. I'm not going to give this up. And I was just hitting these things individually, like these pillars uh, that some people have. And um, I said, all right, now comes the decision-making. Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to see the sweetness that comes from knowing the God of the universe? And um, I said, let's pray. If you want that, raise your hand. So I did an altar call. And uh, I, I'm, I'm praying, and I open my eyes, and I see that there's six high schoolers who have just raised their hands to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and commit to following him for the rest of their life for the first time ever. And the whole man, God just hit me right there. And he said, this is your calling. These people need me, and I'm here for them, and I'm speaking loudly, and I'm equipping you. This is what you're here for. Shepherd my flock. And there was just so much power in that moment to where today I look back on that, and I just think, man, that's where God called me. I was just reading from the Word, and I asked people, do you want to know this guy that I know? His name is Jesus Christ, and he's changed my entire life. And then I got to see them respond to that and experience that and walk through that all the way up until this day with some of those people. 
that was powerful. And so uh, after that, what would happen is I would leave it and I would go to college and uh, the ministry is still running today, which is so cool. And uh, I went to Seattle Pacific University. It's a great uh, Christian college. And I met some of the best friends of my life. Um, I was dumped by a couple girls there, went through some heartbreak, you know, and then uh, I was listening to my pastor at the time and uh, he was talking about debt and just, man, you guys, you, you sign off and you sign off on all these loans. It's like, you really got to consider what the future looks like. And I felt convicted. At the same time, I got a call from my mother. She said, things are getting really bad at home. Um, I, I just, I, I, I got to separate for a little bit. I don't know what's going on. Um, and I said, okay, I'm coming back home. Um, it just all made sense. I, I left my friends, um, my best friends, and uh, I, I moved back to Oregon. And uh, I moved back to Bend. I got in an argument with my father at one point, And he said, well, if you don't like it here, you can leave. Um, a lot of dads say that at some point. But what they don't know is their kid has already packed all their belongings. And so I said, okay, I'm moving out today. And uh, I moved out. And I asked my buddy, I was like, hey, man, can you talk to your mom? Can I move in? buddy from high school and uh, he talked to her and she's like oh yeah i'm moving to florida you can move in you boys can have the house all to yourselves and uh, i'm gonna leave a credit card for you for groceries <laughs> what and so i walk into this house right and I, I already know what the house was looked like but it was the first time when you walk into a place and it's yours it's just different and so it's just this freaking it's just a mansion guys seriously it had so many rooms it had a pool it had a detached garage everything a, kid, a guy could want i was like 18 you know and i walk in this place this is our place just the two of us there's six bedrooms here and uh so anyways what would happen is she gave us that credit card she said, there's groceries you can have the place no rent no nothing right and so I'm living there, and meanwhile, I get offered uh, two jobs while I'm in Bend just from walking into the place. One of my friends is like, oh, here, you can, you can bust for this like Thai place. He goes, he erases someone else's name and just writes mine in. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that guy's not a good worker anyways. You know, it's like, okay. And so anyways, like just provision in the midst of um, my parents going through a divorce, a messy divorce where I was the mediator, right? The, kind of the spiritual leader of the home. And so brother, sister, mother, father, mediator, that's me. And um, just really stressful situation. Also having lost, you know, my friends friends in Seattle, and then being back in Oregon. It was really stressful. But in the midst of that, there was provision. Not only would the house be provided, a couple jobs would be provided, and eventually I'd be asked to become the youth pastor of the church that I had attended while I was in high school. And that was just huge. I told him, dude, there's no way, man. I'm moving back to Seattle or Portland as soon as I can. Two weeks later, I was like, all right, man, God's calling me to this. I'm going to do it. Let's, let's go forward. And so uh, I would begin to preach and teach uh, these, these youth, um, middle school, high school, first through fifth. And I would just see God do a lot of work in the kids in Bend. And I was able to link that ministry back with the high school ministry that I invested so much into to the point where every youth group in town, we all met as leaders, as youth pastors, and organized a pretty huge deal um, over there in Bend for all of the kids collectively to empower them uh, for, for the gospel. And so uh, where does all of this lead? It leads to uh, just a lifestyle of constant ups and downs. You're going to go through trials. You're going to be crawling through the desert, desperate for water, and you will see none. But then there's Jesus, and he's pursuing and he's pursuing, and he's pursuing, and he's pursuing, and he is calling you to something very specific, something very life-giving, something very beautiful, better than anything you could ever comprehend. 
Jesus provides streams of living water that satisfy your soul that nothing else can. You can look to be wealthy. It will not satisfy. You can look to have the comforts of the world. They will not satisfy. A relationship will not satisfy you. Jesus alone will satisfy you, and he will call you. Um, this is what happens. Um, you know, you, you generally look at life, oh, man, you know, poor kid, and he raises up against the ranks. Like, this is great, you know. That's not what the calling of Jesus is about. It's not about prosperity. My life certainly did not turn into one of prosperity. Uh, what would happen is I would actually meet the girl of my dreams. I would pursue her. I would ask her father for permission to marry her. We would get married. We would have a beautiful relationship. We would have a beautiful house. We would have a beautiful ministry to over 120 kids. And what would happen is she would leave me for somebody else. I would quit my career of ministry. I would be desperate down at the door, praying to God, bring her home. I would be at the lowest moments of my life saying, God, I need you. I would fast for days on end saying, I have nothing. I was on sabbatical for about six months. Tyler Smith, actually, uh, he's, I think, out doing security right now. I called him. I was like, dude, she left. He's like, what? What? Yeah, man, she left. And he actually moved down from California just to be with me. My friends from Seattle would take shifts and come down and visit me. And my friends from Portland would come and just stay with me in the house as I was totally lost, totally without just any feeling, any emotion. I was broken down to the core. When you lose the most valuable relationship in your life aside from Jesus, man, that's a hard place to be. And I I sympathize for people who go through that. And so I I would cry at that door. I would pray. I would fast. And I would say, God, I, I need you. It wasn't the comfort of the world that would carry me through. I knew that if I went to alcohol, as others had in my, in my past um, during a divorce, that it wouldn't satisfy. I knew if I went to new relationships, they would not satisfy. I knew that absolutely nothing would satisfy. And at the end of the day, I was sitting down in the pit like Job in the Bible, or Job if you're a new Christian. Um, <laughs> And uh, I literally had nothing to do but just kind of sit there and wait on the Lord to heal. And so for the next, you know, three years of my life up to now, I've really been healing from that and recovering from that experience. And it's it's called grief, guys. You're going to experience grief in life. I've experienced a lot of grief, and there's a lot of things that happened that I didn't talk about throughout those different years But ultimately, it's all about Jesus. It's about pursuing him. Um, God is calling his children with the spirit. He was pursuing me as a young man. God is speaking to his children with the word of truth. God was speaking and proclaiming truth in my life in areas I didn't even recognize as a young man. God is raising his children. This is something really important to note. God's not just going to say, oh, hey, you're my kids. Go go have fun. No, he's saying, okay, I'm going to use what the enemy determined to use for your harm and i'm going to use it for my glory so you will know me more the things that happened in my life dysfunctional family stress poverty god would turn all those things around in my life for his glory 
God is providing for his children. He provided in so many different ways for me with the different family, the different uh, families, sorry, uh, the different men who would reach out to me during my childhood all the way up until now and would say, hey, man, I love you. Let's meet. Let's talk about the word of God. This is a really important one, guys. God is weeping with his children. If you are ever in a position where your child is hurt, where they have a disability, where they have um, you know, injured something, you are weeping right there with them. You are sitting in the midst. You are holding them. God weeps with his children. He doesn't just simply say, okay, put your boots on and walk through. He doesn't just say, okay, get through this. He doesn't say, just pick yourself up. No, he goes and he sits down with you. And he speaks to you tenderly, and he says, I am here. You are my child, because he loves you. And God is yearning for relationship with his children. There's a lot of children who don't desire relationship with their parents. There are a lot, and he, the Bible says he's jealous for us. He's jealous for your soul. He wants it because it's his. He wants relationship with you because it's the best life you will ever live. I have one verse to show, and then uh, I'll be done here. And uh, let's see if I can pull it up. It's uh, Psalm 1. This is the first thing in Scripture I read. And this is what I've noted um, has been kind of the ongoing thing, uh, repetitive trial and grief uh, throughout my life, but also that solid ground. It's Psalm chapter 1. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, the man's delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This man, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It talks a lot about just how you choose to live your life. If you choose to live your life sacrificing it to God and saying, all right, I'm sold out. I'm going to follow you with everything I have because there's nothing worthwhile in this life other than you, Jesus. If you choose to do that, it says you will be blessed. Meditate on God's word, delight in his law, and you will be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. Everything comes, trials come, they push and they pull at the tree, the winds come, everything comes, the drought comes. You will not be moved because your foundation is in the word of God, because your foundation is in the sacrifice of Jesus, because you have relationship with God, you will not be moved. Life is never going to be like this. You won't have that straight line. You will have ups and downs. But God, he's consistent. He's the solid rock. He's the foundation. He will get you through every situation, and he weeps with you. He provides for you. He pursues you. So uh, thank you guys for taking some time to listen to me. Thanks, Jay. You know, the, Jay shared his story um, it's a powerful one. Like he said, that life is ups and downs. It's never going to be consistent, but God is always consistent. That's great. Um, you know, in Scripture, there are a lot of examples. And for time's sake, we won't go through all of them. I'm going to summarize them really quickly. But 
There are several times in Scripture where God does an amazing work in somebody's life, and the immediate response is for them to go out and share with others. The immediate response. There was a, a leper in Mark, and uh, the Lord heals him of leprosy, a disease that made you untouchable. It made you an outcast of society. And the Lord heals him of this. And he goes out and he spreads his name so much, it says in Mark, that Jesus couldn't even go into some of the towns anymore because he would be surrounded by the crowds. He made Jesus' name so well known by sharing his story that Jesus had a difficult time traveling. There's a woman at the well who Jesus um, has this conversation with and Jesus prophetically and it really as God knows all these things about her without any reason to know them. And he starts speaking to her and he tells her basically that he is this Messiah. He is who the, the Jews had been looking for. The one that they had been waiting for, the Messiah. And she goes into the town and she's so overwhelmed with joy with, with the experience that she had with Jesus. And she goes out and she tells everyone about this Jesus that's out by the well. And they all eventually kind of believe, like, really? Like, are you sure? Okay. And they come and they, they come and hear Jesus for themselves. And there's this text and it says, um, It is no longer because of, this is the people speaking, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. When we go out and we, we make Jesus' name known, we share the, the good news, we share the things that He's done in our lives, our goal is so that Jesus would have a hard time traveling around because everyone knows who He is, to make His name known. But at a certain point, it's no longer because of what we've said, it's because they've seen it and experienced it for themselves. There was another man who was possessed with not just a demon, but many demons. He said his name was Legion, because for we are many, which is one of the scariest verses in the Bible, right? They always throw that little text into, you know, the exorcist movies and everything. Like, so it's like, here, for we are many. It's pretty scary sounding. But he says, you know, be cast out, and the demons are cast out, and they, they go into these flock of pigs, and this man is freed completely freed and he wants to follow jesus he wants to be one of the disciples but jesus and said charges him he says go and tell them go and tell all of them uh, what i've done for you and so he did he went into the town and this is the guy who was the crazy demon possessed man who lived up in the hills who screamed and wailed and everybody was afraid of him and he comes in completely transformed completely transformed. And he tells everyone about Jesus. Maybe you don't know all the answers. Maybe you don't feel confident in your ability to present the gospel, but let me tell you, Jesus has saved you. And if that is true for you, if salvation has been true for you, just tell them of that. Just tell them, like Jay just shared with us, the Lord has been consistent in my life of inconsistency. In my life of ups and downs, Jesus has always been there with me in my ups and in my downs. That's powerful. Now, I believe that our, our stories, our testimonies, are evidence of the divine. Now, your story by itself does not prove God's existence to someone. 
does it? Just like in a court of law, one person's testimony doesn't prove anything. There, there has to be other parts of evidence in the case to prove something, guilty or not guilty, right? There's other parts, but let me say it is a part. And don't let anyone tell you differently. Your story is a part of the evidence of the things that God is doing. It is. Don't underestimate it. It alone doesn't prove God's existence. It alone doesn't prove that Jesus is the Savior. There's a lot more that goes into it. But it is a valid part, just like a person's testimony is a valid piece of evidence in a court case. So share it. And maybe one testimony isn't a lot to somebody, but when they're seeing a whole community of transformed people and then they start seeing their friends, maybe their friend was this jerk and now he meets Jesus and he's totally different. I mean, in this room alone, we have so many stories of transformation. You start to see Jesus really is working. And maybe you want to put it to something else. People will try to say it's this or that. It's just an experience. It's not real. Then that's when we also learn to present the gospel. And we'll go through um, the other evidences as well. But our testimonies, let me say this again, are a valid part of the presentation of the gospel, of the testimony of what God is doing. Amen? So let's be bold, let's share, and let's share the joy. The joy that is found in Christ and Christ alone. The complete joy, the perfect joy. From the perfect Savior who saved us. And we should want to share because we're excited about it. We should want to share so that others can experience the same joy. Amen? Let's pray.